G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to our 18th episode of Series 6 of This Week in Startups Australia. Our theme for Series 6, taking the Australian ecosystem from good to great, this week focuses on the second most valuable firm in technology, Microsoft. For more than 40 years, ever since my fingers first touched a TRS-80 microcomputer, I've been using Microsoft products. They've morphed from a scrappy startup into the 900-pound gorilla of computing, and now, in middle age, they've evolved into something else. And that something could be very important for the Australian startup ecosystem. We're opening the windows on Microsoft's startup strategy on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by MYOB. Running a startup is pretty cool, but doing the books isn't. MYOB makes it easier. For your free trial, visit myob.com slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by the University of Technology, Sydney, supporting students to become startup founders. UTS is engaging, inspiring, and connecting students to take the leap as startup founders. Check out what they're up to at startups.uts.edu.au. And This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Campaign Monitor. When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com twist. As I indicated in the show opening, I have been using Microsoft products daily for 40 years in technology that's effectively forever. And my experience of computing and my experience of Microsoft, they are effectively one and the same. Microsoft has snapped up a lot of startups over the years. 25 years ago, they purchased a small British company named Reality Lab that was started by some friends of mine. And Reality Lab became Direct 3D. So that's the deal with Microsoft. Their scale, their influence, their capacity cannot be overstated. But that doesn't mean we think of them very often in startup land. And Microsoft wants to change that. Now, to change that, well, they've made an incredible hire. Now, we've spoken to Annie Parker before on this show, and listeners will know of her journey establishing Morudi, getting fish burners into the gorgeous new hub. But Annie set herself an even bigger challenge as global head for startups at Microsoft. Annie, welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you. It's good to be back. Okay, so what is Microsoft doing in startups here? So... What you might remember from um, you know, a couple of years ago is the artist formerly known as BizSpark. <laughs> if you remember, that was the offer in the marketplace to give out some free credits to get people building on the Azure platform yeah. and building on our cloud. Um, what we found, though, was it was kind of a little bit of a race to the bottom in terms of 
who gave the most credits. Right. And if, if you were a really smart, savvy founder, you could kind of game the system a little bit, which let's face it, if I'm a founder, I, I want to be in charge of my hustle here. Absolutely. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. But then as the credits kind of got larger and larger, particularly for these startups that are really scaling quite fast, mm. what we actually started to get was a very different piece of feedback, which is, you know what, the credits are great and a few more is obviously better than less, but what I actually need is help. Mm. What I actually need is help on my technical and my engineering front to see, am I scaling my business in the right way? And then more importantly, what we really want is access to customers, mm -hmm. access to repeatable revenue that helps us scale our business in such a way that we can pay for our growth that we can afford the talent that we need to bring into our business just as much as we have great customers to go sell to. And that really was quite a, a wonderful piece of feedback for us because it sort of gave us that massive uh, challenge of, well, actually, how how should we turn up in this space? What What's the best thing that we can deliver? Mm -hmm. So in February of this year, um, BizSpark was rebranded as Microsoft for Startups as an offer. And what we did was we actually reduced the amount of credits at the top end, mm -hmm. to which the answer in the market was, a, oh, okay, which you, you kind of know you're onto a, a good thing when you actually reduce the value of something and no one complains. Um, and what, it, it was like the kid caught in the candy jar. and I'm taking the candy jar away now. All right. Well, what we actually did was we, we, we reduced the amount of credits, but we reinvested that money mm. into technical help and support and getting help on that go-to-market side. Which is, frankly, is worth more, right? It kind of is. <laughs> There's no um, kind of about it. Yeah, you can get free stuff, but if it doesn't help you sell more stuff, you don't have a business. And then really what we re realized was one of the um, unfair advantages that Microsoft has is our wonderful partner network mm. and an extraordinary pool of partners who we work with and sell their products through our channels. Well, to, I mean, to go back historically, I've always thought of the, what we call the partner network. That's the network of companies that grew up around Microsoft, right? They're the yeah. startups that integrated themselves into the Microsoft ecosystem. And so in some ways, Microsoft for Startups has always been the partner network. So how is this focus different? So two key things. The first is this ethos of today's startups are tomorrow's partners, right. which you kind okay. of just alluded to. Yeah. And that's a sort of a, an ethos within the company of, we don't care how big or small you are, we want to work with you. Mm. If you have a solution that helps our partner network and our customers mm. be more innovative, be more efficient, whatever the, the, the be more is, then that's our mission is to help help our partners and our customers and suppliers achieve more. So if you if you then take it back down to it's really simple, what's our unfair advantage? If we can help those scaling companies get access to our customers and our partners quicker in the ways that we know make the best sense, i.e. let's help you, you know, sort of build out your sales team. Let's help you understand how to do business in this enterprise and B2B space. And that's really the final part mm. is we, we made a decision that we would just purely focus on enterprise and B2B with the startup program mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we know that's where we can give, bring the most help. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if consumer is it's a very different proposition right and in fact microsoft is an enterprise software company now Absolutely. i mean even though everyone's using windows on their laptops microsoft is an enterprise software company and then i think the final part really is 
you know an awful lot about Microsoft and the company and the ethos. And I the have values. seen the journey. You yes, have indeed. But some people, particularly you know, early stage founders, won't know that, yeah. and they perhaps might think of Microsoft as being quite a stodgy old corporate brand. Which, of course, you know, a few years back, I, I think perhaps we could have you know sort of been <coughs> a little guilty of that. But we're not anymore. We are, you know, one of the largest contributors to open source code. We we merged with or acquired GitHub, which I know a few people were worried about, but I'm not, and I'll tell you why. Because the guy who's been put in there to be CEO, um, and this is where it comes full circle, mm. he's called Nate Friedman, and he used to be one of the founders of Xamarin. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. We were acquired by Microsoft, Microsoft a few years ago. Absolutely. And he has been an open source developer since he was a baby, practically. Right. And for, for our listeners, Samarin built a tool that allowed you to develop mobile apps for both Android and iOS. Yeah. So he is open source yeah. DNA all the way through his you know, brain, body, and soul. Yeah. So absolutely the best person we could put in place to be CEO of GitHub going forwards. Yeah. And I think for me, there's um, there's the, you know, the building blocks of have we got the right offer and are we working with founders and startups in the right ways to help and give them the help they need. But then at a more broader values level, I think Microsoft has significantly shifted in the last sort of four or five years. And, and some of that is actually a reminder of who they used to be. Yeah. So the scrappy, the scrappy little underdog fighting against I, well, fighting against IBM and then going to business with IBM and then besting IBM. And, and realistically, though, it was also about values. It's about who do we want to show up and be every day, mm. and how do we want to represent ourselves in this world marketplace. And I think that the not new CEO anymore, but Sachin Adela, our CEO, is is an extraordinary human being. And that's how he shows up and presents himself every day. And I know what founders are like. They want to work with people who they associate those values with. And I think that's a huge, huge deal for us as well. Okay, so what exactly? I mean, you've rebranded BizSpark. You've just taken down the number of credits. What exactly is Microsoft offering and where are they offering it? Because I think this is part of it. So it's, it's, it's happening in Sydney, but it's happening in other places as well. Sure. So the Microsoft for Startups offer, which is some credits, some technical help, and then some go-to-market help as well, is a global offer. You can get it anywhere in the world. Okay. You have to um, qualify. And by qualify, I mean, you have to be a B2B startup. Mm -hmm. You have to be technology-based um, and have some form of ability to scale. That could be in-region, it could be globally. Either of those two is fine. And we start you out at somewhere like around about $25,000 worth of credits okay. over a 12-month period. And then on top of that, you also get um, remote technical support and help on your go-to-market pieces. And those offers can go anywhere up to around about $120,000, depending on how quickly you're scaling. The scale-up program, which is if you like a, a slightly later stage offer, is more for those companies that are probably Series A funded. Mm -hmm. So they've got a significant chunk of investment to be able to spend on being able to scale. Or you've got to that point of you've grown enough right. to be able to then take on a significant volume of customers. And the idea is that the scale-up program, which is in a number of different markets, so the US, the UK, um, Israel, Germany, China, India, 
and Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do in that program is we take you for four months through that journey to help you learn the basics of how you're going to scale your business, how to you know, bring in talent, how to make sure you've got all the right systems and processes in place, as well as helping taking you to market. I mean, and it's, it, and it's funny because I was just asked to, to, to take a board role so that I could help a company scale. And it's like, actually, I've only ever done that once. And I was not in a senior management role. And Mm. so I deferred. I said, I'm happy to have a seat at the table while you're learning how to do that. But that's a very specific set of skills because it has to be someone who's gone through it before, who can speak to how you actually manage this hyper growth phase. Yeah. And it's it's a um, there's a, a wonderful phrase that I'm, I'm I steal from Amanda Price at um, KPMG's High Growth Ventures team, and her phrase that she uses because obviously they work with a lot of scaling companies mm. too is, whatever got you here, is not going to get you there. No. Yeah, whether it's the the team, i.e., you need to grow quick, you need to bring in more talent, whether it's probably some of your systems and processes, which perhaps a lot of yeah. Uh, founders keep a hold of too much and don't delegate. I don't know what you're talking about. No, he's rolling his <laughs> eyes, by the way, folks. Um, and the technology stack, more than likely, yeah. it's held together with strings, sellotape, and PHP. Perhaps, yeah. Hello, Facebook. Uh, you know, and, and when you get to hyperscale, yeah. those wheels start falling off yeah. pretty rapidly. Yeah. So what you need is you know a lot of help around all of those dis- different aspects and how. How could you expect any group of founders to possibly have all of those skills? Uh, no, it's because the skills that it takes to start a business are not the same skills that it takes to take a business through hypergrowth. Full mm, stop. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So you have all these pieces in place. You have all of these different centers around. Now, do you actually have startups working out of these centers or are these more sort of drop-in places? How it's does a little it... bit more drop-in because, of course, when you're in that scale-up phase, you're more than likely have your own office space yeah. and you have a large team or a larger team than, say, you know, you mentioned Marudi earlier. That's usually kind of more MVP prototype right. stage startups that are usually somewhere between a couple of founders who are just starting to dive into this versus perhaps maybe four or five people. And at that point, it's actually easier to bring them in. Whereas scale-up land, it's it's not like that. And of course, the other thing is what's great about that is if you start to then kind of accept that your, your, your teams are going to be geographically spread... Well, it doesn't matter where they're from then. They could be from New Zealand. And yeah. we, we do have a Kiwi startup in this current cohort um, upstairs on mm. level 10. Uh, we have a, company, a bunch of companies from Adelaide, from Melbourne, from across Australia, which is fantastic. We also have a team from Singapore. So what's great is... Working out of the Sydney hub. No, they're not working out of here, but they're part of the scale-up program. Okay, but, but, oh, okay. Yeah. but are they... Is this their contact point is what I'm yes, saying? It okay, is, yeah. It's absolutely their yeah. contact point. And we bring them in regularly, one, probably once every four to six weeks to mm. do boot camps together so that they, they still have that kind of collegiate community where they're learning from their mm-hmm. peer group, which is super important. Um, not least from a founder mental health perspective to be able to share, my God, this is really hard, isn't mm-hmm. it? And not always think, oh, this is just about content. It's, it's also about the softer skills. But the thing you point up is that when Microsoft does something, they just get to do it at global scale as well. It's like when you do a startup program, bam, right? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we have a good, we have this global scale of program for startups now. It's an extraordinary thing. And of course, it was one of the things that I got really excited about mm. in terms of accepting the role is a truly global 
and I've never really had that in, in a role before. At, at, as of, uh, I think, last week's stock price, the second largest technology company in the world. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind <laughs> of a, it's it's exciting, but it's also a bit, you know, sort of, oh man, I, I really don't want to mess this up. Yeah. You know, we really want to do a good job of it. And, and that for me is probably the final thing that, certainly when I said talked about values mm. earlier on, it's not just about the content of the program and the who we work with, um, but it's also who we partner with and who we can help to re-emphasize or re, um, retell stories that we know need to be retold. And I'll give you an example. Mm. So in the US, we've just signed a couple of partnerships I'm super proud of. One is with Backstage Capital, which I don't know whether you've heard of or not, right? So founder's a lady called Arlen Hamilton, and she was trying to secure funding in the Valley and no one would talk to her. Because she was a lady? And black. Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. I mean, talk about how hard that must have been. And at one point, you know, she was living out the back of a car and all that. Kind of, and you just think she decided to go fix her own problem. Yeah. So she started Backstage Capital a couple of years ago. They're onto their third fund now. How much have they raised? Uh, just in this ne- this last fund, 100 million US. Okay. And every single dollar that they put in goes into a female founder, a black founder, a person who comes from an underrepresented yeah, minority. Diverse, absolutely. And they are about to, or they're, they're just starting a series of accelerators, one of which is going to be in London and the others are in the US. And they're in places like Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, they're not in... Silicon Valley. Yeah. Because, you know, you're well served and, there. And, and what's fantastic about it is we've partnered with them to help, you know, transfer some of our own knowledge and IP of how mm. to run accelerators, but also just because our dollars are going to work hard there. You know, and it's going to make a really big difference. And ideally, we get to make a big difference and quickly. Yeah, well, no, you absolutely will. I mean, you know, this, the ha- the second half of Series 4, where I only had women on, I didn't tell anyone, all right? But you got one story after another because, as you know, women have to be better at this than men to get the same gains. And the same thing will be true for a person of color. Doubled and redoubled. Absolutely. And so, Turk, I mean, bang for the buck. You're you're providing exactly the thing that they need the most to make the most of what they already have a lot of. Mm-hmm. And that for me is you know, something else that in this role yeah. I get to influence. I get to you know sort of make sure that we are creating those pathways and those partnerships with organisations that values align on mm. around inclusion around you know can we use more technology for good as solutions you know one of the other things that you know i'm proud of is is what we've done here in australia with tech fugees mm. and and that for me is you know there's so many different applications of how technology can make a difference so um, microsoft has an ai for good program mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole bunch of different aspects of that around humanitarian causes AI for the planet and AI for accessibility, which you know you and I are both big fans of the remarkable program yes. here in in the startup hub as well. And you know again, it's it's an opportunity for technology to not just be good at what it does, but to actually make a genuine and human impact. Mm. And that for me is is the the golden ticket in this role at Microsoft. I, I get to do those sorts of things and be super proud of them. Do, do you see this role also scaling up? In other words, is the size of the program 36 months from now the same as it is today or does it also grow? I think it does grow and it needs to probably on one key aspect that we haven't yet um, fully utilized, which is we have so many digital channels now. Yes. 
And we need to get much better at being able to utilize those both in terms of learning opportunities and creating digital content that is repeatable. Um, so a good example, Microsoft l- uh, launched something a few weeks ago called MS Learn, mm. where you can go online and learn the basics mm-hmm. of cloud computing mm-hmm. just in online courses. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no reason why we couldn't create different learning pathways for early stage startup yeah. content, how to go to market and do the build, test, learn cycles. And imagine if I could do that at scale. Imagine if I could create startup content that you can access anywhere in the world. And I mean, this is, you know, when I take a look at what Murray's now doing at UTS, trying to turn all of them into entrepreneurs, it's like these, this is the kind of thinking we're going to need because it's got to be a mix. There's going to be a lot of human skills and human mentoring and all of that. But there's also got to be this enormous wealth of material for people who are hungry to be able to just take on board and learn from. And when I first started out in in startup land about eight years ago, I remember there was a big conversation at the time of, you know, can you teach entrepreneurship? Mm. And there was this philosophical debate of, you know, you have to be born an entrepreneur versus could you learn it? And we've proven now you can teach it. Yes. It is absolutely teachable. What I think we do need to kind of add to this is, you know, it's it's not just a series of steps and processes. It is a, a... a really high creative brain or ability to problem solve and think and question yes. on an ongoing basis. Yes. And but I also think, a process of emotional maturity because you're also managing an enormous amount of stress and pressure as well. Yeah, but when you get used to being able to manage the the, the constant change, yeah. it is addictive. Um, this is a hard problem to have there. It's very addictive. But you, you then start to kind of see, huh, I could use this same solution to fix this problem over here. And, and it's it becomes a way of thinking that I think you can take with you into any job. We're talking to Annie Parker. We'll be right back. MYOB saves businesses time, helps improve cash flow, gets invoices paid faster, gives real-time visibility of profit and loss, and makes payroll easy. With MYOB, you can create, send, and track customized invoices. This is awesome because Australian businesses can wait on average 43 days to get paid. With MYOB, your clients can pay you directly from your invoices. People who use the MYOB online invoicing solution get paid four times faster. MYOB software will let you know when you've been paid, then update the accounts. You don't have to lift a finger. MYOB's online solutions make pay runs quick and easy, ensuring all of your tax and super payments are compliant with the Australian Tax Office. You can save half a day every month on processing employee pay. MYOB's mobile app means you can create a quote on the job, send invoices straight from the app, and even get paid on the same day you invoice. 1.2 million businesses in Australia and New Zealand use MYOB. Startups, sole traders, and small businesses, all the way up to companies with hundreds of staff. Whatever your stage or size, MYOB has a solution for you. Twista listeners will get a free 30-day trial, and the first 50 people to sign up will also get $100 in cash. Go to myob.com slash twista for your free trial today.
And we're back talking to Annie Parker. So let's talk about a couple of things here. Now, yes, we're sitting in the sixth floor of the Sydney Startup Hub. And as I've said twice on this show already, I have told the story of when you invited me over to Fishburners. And it was a horrible thing to do because you blew my mind. We now have, I mean, in terms of just the overall startup environment, it feels like it's better than it ever has been. And yet the startup muster is telling us that the number of startups is in decline. What do we make of that? So I've got a couple of things that I wanted to share on this one. The first is whenever you go through multiple years of growth in anything, yeah. whether it's startups, whether it's um, sm- you know, small businesses who are going through growth spurts, you, you have difficult years. Yes. Call it the difficult second album or the... Oh, you know, my it's, God, it's the, it's the sophomore album. You're right. Yeah, it's, it's hard to yeah. keep repeating that kind of growth, mm. particularly, and here's where I think the biggest problem is, particularly when the start and the middle is kind of going like the clappers, but the top end of town ain't changed. So if I really look honestly at the, co- the companies in, a, in, the, you, uh, sorry, in, in Australia who are genuinely engaging with startups and mm. doing it in a meaningful way. Mm. It's a short list. It's a very short list. Yeah. And here's the other thing. Not most of them, of the ones who are doing it and doing it well, most of them aren't Australian corporates. They're the multinationals. <laughs> yeah. So I think, number one, we need to do a much better job of getting that you know, sort of connective tissue between early stage companies and Australian companies, i.e. businesses that can become their customer, because without customers, you can't grow. So I think that's problem number one. And problem number two is there's just, I think, a genuine fatigue of talking about startups to people who don't who aren't in this industry and ecosystem you know it's like being beaten over the head with the same message of startups are important startups are important and you go okay but i don't actually know how to engage or i don't yeah. well, it, and, and i think we need to get much better on our messaging of here's different ways in which you can contribute and mm. you can mm. you know sort of meaningfully make a difference and then we we need we need to be better at telling that story. So, I mean, that was one of the goals of the Spark Festival all along, right, was that it was supposed to open the doors. And, I mean, there's lots and lots of people came to all the events over the last three weeks. You know, we're just past the end of the Spark Festival. So you can see that some of that happened. And, and then some of it's also the political environment kind of got muddied by the innovation agenda, which then kind of petered out. And I think maybe some of that had happened. One of my suspicions, and it's a fear, and I think that the facts to some degree support it, is that we also are tapping a limited pool, particularly in technical talent, right? They were tapping a limited pool, and we don't have the number of technical people, and Mm -hmm. we're not adding to the number of technical people at the rate that we're going to want if we want to have... Completely true, yeah. So we we have a massive skills gap, even just more generally in ICT um, overall. I was actually just at a launch um, event this morning and with a a joint event with Microsoft, TAFE and a few other partners Mm. where Microsoft is committed to retraining or giving training skills, but on the job. So partnering through TAFE, a a kid straight from school, Mm. don't have to be a university graduate, Mm. can learn the technical and engineering skills by being on the job and doing a job. And then one day a week they go to TAFE. And they do the the, the actual you know, sort of learning the training, if learning. you like. Right. And at the end of that um, 
that scholarship, if you like. So they get paid mm-hmm. for the so entire time. So it's an internship. Time. It's a paid, paid, internship, paid internship. And at the end of the 18 months, they get a Cert 4. So they get a genuine qualification yeah. that they can use in the open market. And, and are I, these like cybersecurity or... It's starting off at early stage kind of Azure skills and things like okay. that because these are kids straight from school. They're yeah. not going to have you know, really sort of deep technical knowledge. But imagine if we were to have different pathways like that that were accessible to a broader audience. Absolutely. Rather than just thinking that the only way I can become you know, somebody that's of use in, in the ICT sector more broadly, and of course to startups more specifically, is I have to have gone to university or I have to have done my own startup 23 times. Yeah. You know, I think we all do need to get a little bit more creative around how we find this talent and how we train this talent. Yeah. And I love the fact that Microsoft and TAFE and a bunch of others have piled in together and they haven't waited for government. Um, mm-hmm. I think there is a, there's a she'll be right mentality here in Australia, which, you know, part of it I love because it's that kind of laissez-faire sort of chilled outness that, that is an attractive trait. But what happens if she's not right, though? Well, but this is, I think, exactly why the startup muster, because you've, you've given data to exactly the group of people who are going to go, oh, my God, data, we've got to action it, right? That's the thing, is that there's now an entire community going, well, that's, that's a problem. How do we fix it? I think the other angle, though, for me, and, and this is back to my point of we need to find a better way of engaging different yeah. audiences, of this, this is a converted audience. Yes. We're speaking to ourselves in our own bubble, and I think yes. we need to get out of that more. Yes, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I, and I feel like as many opportunities as we can to do public things, public events, and, and to make it all seem beautiful and friendly. So the, um, the new library over in Green Square, and I went to the grand opening last weekend, was beautiful. The in, there's a huge section that's set up as a maker space for the kids to play Fantastic. with. But the adults as well can check out maker kits. And it almost feels as though part of what that needs to do is then then, then, then needs to be some way that if, oh, you've checked out all the maker kits. Hey, maybe you want to do this thing over at the TAFE. Or, and so we actually think about these things as, again, how what are all the pathways that we can create, that we can generate? What are all the pathways we can grow? Think of, think of this like a brain, which is going mm. to grow new pathways to get people to learn more and more stuff. It's important to think of that quite laterally as well. So great. And, and one of the things that, by the way, I'm a big fan of libraries, just in general, because they're just beautiful. And that's a beautiful new library, let me tell uh, you. I haven't been yet, so I'm going to You should it go visit. List. It's amazing. The thing for a library as well is it's it's a, a it's an open community space from the get go. Yes. So you don't have to have you know a pre qualification to walk through the door. No. You just need to walk in, and I think that's probably one of the other things that again, if we can get a little better at within startup land, yeah, is to be a bit more open about where a person might have come from before in terms of their life experience or the skill level they have. Give you one stat that I used actually a UTS event with Murray and a bunch of others, which is I actually see really good, um, particularly product managers or um, high level kind of front end design and things like that. Lawyers are really good, ex lawyers, <laughs> believe it or not, because they look, they problem solve and they look for you know sort of the connectivity between things and, and how they look for thing, the holes in things. Yes. And they look to where the overlaps are. Yeah. And then, and I think actually having external life experience yeah. is always super valuable. And I think we just need to get a little less rigid around, did you study this exact thing that I'm trying to recruit yeah. for? Or do you have the life experience that is additive to the whole of what I'm trying to do in my business? And equally, if there's something that you don't yet know, 
could you learn it? Yeah. Could you learn it quickly? Yeah. Do you have the com- commitment to throw yourself in? Because if you can learn it, I can teach it. So, hey, let's let's give that a go. Because if I believe in you at values and a objectives level of you, you want to do something epic with your life, then I'd rather have that than the person who has all the right ticks in the right boxes on a skills and experience or skills and qualifications, I should say. I'd much rather take the person who's got the passion and energy. Mm. Okay, so the other sobering fact out of the report is that the number of women who are founding startups is also adjusted for all the following numbers also have fell around 10%, you know, 3% aggregate, but 10% when you're talking about the total number of women, which is given the amount of love and energy and effort folks like you and other people have put into this, it feels very disappointing. And it is. What what are we doing wrong? What What should we be doing better? So first up, again, I'm going to go back to my fatigue point. Yeah. Overall, if you look globally, mm. No one's got this right. Okay, so we can give ourselves something of a pass for that. That's fair. It's it's not necessarily a pass. It's more a, this stuff is hard. You don't get to shift numbers from, you know, low 20% or even lower, you know, in in some markets to 40% inside two or three years. No. This stuff is hard. Mm. So... I think what I'm trying to say there is is let's not give ourselves a pass, but let's also not be unreasonable in our expectations that we do two or three years of work and focus and think that we're going to ever solve the problem. What I think we do need to do more differently, again, is, <coughs> excuse me, is to look at those different pathways. Are we really, really, are we hiring beautifully for underrepresented groups? Mm. So I'll give you an example. Mm. Um, I've talked about a company called Textio before, I think, on stage with you at um, Creative 3 last year. When you're writing a job description, do you check the words you use? Do you actually check whether or not you're using masculine or more masculine language Mm. versus more feminine? When you're writing the skills requirements list, do you put must have a degree on there Mm. when actually you don't really care? Do you list things on there that that are nice-to-haves? rather than genuine requirements. Do you actually have really good um, ability for somebody to bring a kid in or to, to have day, you know, daycare nearby? Are you really thinking through some of these things? Right. Are you really thinking through the fact that you're hiring a person, not just a set of skills? Exactly. And that that really makes a difference, particularly for women. Mm. We want to know that you're taking care of the whole person yeah. and not just expecting me to turn up and be a machine and deliver what you need me to deliver every day. And the interesting thing is, though, as soon as, and I've seen this from a number of different companies now and founders, they say as soon as they start walking this sort of language and talk and changing it around themselves and in their own teams, um, their their leadership team start copying. So they start going, oh, I didn't realize that I could proactively say that I'm looking to hire a woman or that I'm proactively looking to hire a, a more diverse pool of candidates. Yeah. Oh, OK, great. I'll start doing it. So so I think some of it is actually being very open about what we're doing as individuals and leaders and sharing that more often, because that's the other thing I see far too much of is people saying we want to change, but not knowing how to. Well, change starts with each of us sharing our stories and being honest about actually this bit I tried it, it was terrible, don't do it, mm. or this really worked for us. 
So that story I just gave you of a, a, a person who changed job descriptions and started to be more pro- proactive about hiring, that was actually one of the folks in the audience at Creative Three. <laughs> and he shared the story with me a few months later and said, here's, here's what's actually happened. Not only did I get more women applying for this particular role, I actually, because I used a more open language, got an overall more diverse group of candidates, so people of colour, Hispanic, yeah. different backgrounds. And then the final kind of added bonus was because he was then modelling that behaviour and sharing it with his team, they all copied it. So I think we've got to do this as baby steps, Mark. It's not something where we get to have one silver bullet and two no. years later it's all fixed. No. So let's accept that it's hard and it's going to take a long, hard slog to fix And then let's help each other every step of the way. That is so beautiful. I think we're just going to end it there. Thank you so much, Annie, for joining us again on This Week in Startups Australia. Pleasure. The University of Technology, Sydney, recognizes the incredible potential of the next generation of Australian startup founders. UTS believes entrepreneurship is about doing, inspiring students to take that first step on their founder journey, then encouraging them to keep going. UTS Startups supports student founders from ideation stage to launch with one-on-one mentorship and guidance to support them from across the entire startup ecosystem. This new UTS startup model focuses on connecting each founder with what they need, when they need it, as well as forging connections between members of the UTS startups community. Go see their vibrant collaboration space on Harris Street in Ultimo or visit startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. We launched a new segment for Series 6 of This Week in Startups Australia, asking all of the many incubator and accelerator programs running across the country to spruik their programs to twist our listeners in their own words. This week, we'll hear from Ben Hutt of the HCF Catalyst Accelerator. Take it away, Ben. Sure. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ben Hutt. I'm Chief Program Director for Slingshot Accelerator. We work primarily with large corporate clients to run accelerated programs designed to grow startups and scale up companies and really help the corporate partner, who in this case is HCF, accelerate their innovation and develop strategies to grow and adopt to changing market conditions. Yeah, this is the fourth year we've run the Catalyst program. Um, it's far and away Australia's preeminent health tech accelerator. Over the last three years, we've had 29 different companies, both startups and scale-ups, go through the program. 93% of those have been funded and are still growing, and more than half of them are still being supported or in some sort of commercial arrangement with HCF. So it's been a really, really good program. HCF, of course, is the third largest health insurer in the country with more than 1.5 million members. And really what we're looking for is startups or later stage scale-up companies that can potentially make healthcare more affordable or customer-centric or higher quality, or indeed you might just have something that could be an operational benefit or improvement that HCF could implement within their business. 
And there's really two programs that run in parallel. So both of them last 12 weeks. Um, and the first one, which is really the startup program, is 12 weeks of intense market-leading education in three chapters. So there's a chapter around growth, chapter around business model validation, customer centricity. We have this pretty hardcore validation week at the beginning. And then towards the end, it's all around being investor-ready. And for the scale-ups, they can access all the same content and education. There's some extra bits and bobs just for them. Um, and also what we do is we focus with them on this very structured fortnightly engagement model where we bring them together with business unit sponsors and senior executives at HCF with the sole purpose really of trying to generate a commercial outcome within the 12 weeks. So the early stage startups will get investment funding. Um, so we'll invest $50,000 up front for 10% equity. And then we also commit to invest a further $100,000 towards the end of the program um, if certain conditions are met. And for the scale-ups, it's really engagement and access to HCF. Um, for both types of company, there's half a million dollars of what we call partner perks. So really benefits from people like Amazon, Google, IBM, other sort of tech generally tech, systems, software, services providers that are slingshot relationships. That's a total of half a million dollars that technically you don't need to spend. And I think most importantly, um, because HCF has run this program for four years and Slingshot's now run 19 of these corporate programs, you join a really high quality group of alumni and community that really, as founders, you can help each other grow and support each other. Um, last year, I think from a startup point of view, we had some really interesting people. We had a midwife from Tamworth who had been sort of beavering away at home on a, a pre-birth education program that's now a national thing and she's been on Shark Tank. Her name's Edwina Sharrick, fabulous lady. Um, equally, we had the two guys from Vantari who are like A&E doctors who in their spare time had developed this use for virtual reality as a pre-surgical testing and planning tool and they're going really well. From a scale-up point of view, I think probably my favorite, and any of you that see me in public will know I'm a big advocate for these guys, was Dresden Optics from last year, which is a real disruptor to the eye care industry where their whole thesis was, well, why should glasses be so expensive and take two and a half weeks to get to me? Um, so they've done a really good job at disrupting that industry and kind of making eyewear fashionable and affordable. So there's a whole bunch of different types of people. And one thing I will say is, most of these cohorts are made up with medical professionals or people with deep insight into medicine. That's cool. We help you grow into entrepreneurs. So applications are open now. Um, hcfcatalyst.slingshotters.com or for those that can't spell, just Google HCF Catalyst Slingshot Program. Applications close on Friday the 23rd of November and there'll be pitch days before Christmas and we'll get the cohort organized and locked in during January. When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. That's why Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform, complete with simple drag-and-drop email editor and award-winning 24-7 customer service. Campaign Monitor gives you everything you need to run beautifully designed, professional email marketing campaigns to grow your business. 
with their gallery of beautiful, professionally designed email templates, all of which look amazing on every device, you're bound to find something that will make your brand pop. And since Campaign Monitor uses detailed lists and smart segments, your messages instantly drive more engagement. No wonder it's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide. And it's rated highest in customer satisfaction among major email marketing software vendors. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com twist. Listeners who sign up and become a customer will receive a free t-shirt. Again, that's campaignmonitor.com slash twist. Scaling is hard. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Getting things started is hard. Growing things big is hard of an entirely different order. And you heard Annie talk in detail about the kinds of skills and the kinds of ways founders need to think if they want to grow into success. And then we took this turn and took a look at the startup muster. And it turns out actually everything underneath that is exactly the same. We've got the startup community growing. Now we have to scale it. And what we're learning is what we don't know how to scale, how we how we can scale into capacities, how we can scale into diversity, how we can scale into different genders who are all contributing everything that they can, how we can scale into openness about the kinds of people we want to see and the kinds of skills we want to look for, how we can grow into maturity in ourselves on that journey. And as Annie pointed out, the best way that we can do that is by sharing with one another what we've learned along the way and using that experience to help guide our steps in the future. There is a space here for all of us to learn, for all of us to mentor one another as we try to go from good to great. Big thanks to Twista sponsors MYOB, UTS, and Campaign Monitor. Their support makes this podcast possible. Thanks to Annie Parker and Ben Hutt for joining us on this episode. Now, we've rebuilt and relaunched our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows. It's got all the interviews. It's got all the photos. It's got all the links to all the stories. So check it out at twistartupsaus.com. We'll be back next week with our final news special for Series 6. Given the findings of the latest Startup Muster survey, it's sure to be a cracker. That's next week. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia. 